it's, it's, it's a vision that people have forced into the text, but isn't there itself. So I would say right relationship in those three spheres, that's what we should be doing. That's, what, that's how we should be engaging our ministry. Right relationship with God and other spiritual powers with one another in the right. human community and right relationship and relatedness to the rest of the creation of which we are a part. Oh, yeah. It is jolly nice to have you along and it has been a while. I hear Um Since I have put a podcast out, um, I had one all good to go back there in March, and then an incident happened uh, uh, with our uh, with the Farno uh, down in Ototahi, and for whatever reason, uh, because of that, I felt I shouldn't have released that podcast, and haven't had the he or the way he to do one since so but uh hey we're back um launching a few here um over the next wee while but the intro there was by matsua terry leblanc now terry is of Mi'kmaq from uh canada he is of the Mi'kmaq iwi the Mi'kmaq tribe and uh an absolute legend he's been coming in and out of new zealand since about 1996 Connecting with the likes of uh, Harmy Chapman, uh, Sam Chapman and his whanau, with David Muko, David and Denise Muko. Um, at the time, uh, Monty and Linda Ohia uh, as well, back there in the day. Now, they came out and were a part of some of the what was called the, the uh, World Christian Gathering of Indigenous Peoples. And anyway, so they pioneered this work there also um, Terry and his friend Richard Twiss who unfortunately passed away before his time um, a few years ago they began an organization called Nates which basically is an indigenous theological college or an indigenous theological track uh, based out of North America uh, the vision came to um, both Terry and to Richard in 1996 when they were in Rotorua <clears throat> excuse me, for a Christian gathering there. And God spoke to them about saying, now is the time to head home and to, in, to start some sort of theological training track. So uh, Nate's has been going s- roughly since about, uh, hmm, I think from since about 2000. Uh, and they have um, an incredible, uh, they're doing a really cool work amongst indigenous communities in, uh, in North America, both in Canada and the United States. They are working into Australia with uh, Aboriginal communities there. And they're also working in indigenous communities in the Philippines, uh, which is pretty awesome. So uh, last week, Terry was in the country and um, David Mokor and Alistair Reese, who had gone over to their, sem- their uh, symposium in Canada back in June, sat down with him and invited Terry to come back to, out to New Zealand for a discussion on should we have some sort of Indigenous theological symposium here. So we had a hui at uh, Cary Baptist College. And after that hui, I was able to sit down with Terry and interview him here. So um, I've broken the podcast up into two podcast into two, two series. So I'll, I'll release it at the same time. But uh, uh, Terry's got some great things to say. Uh, but before we get into it, uh, there is a bit of a notice I want to give a shout out to. Uh, I'm a part of a team 
from LinkNZ, uh, a, a network of churches in New Zealand. And we run an annual hui called Earth. And that is coming up in two weeks' time uh, at Waitara at Owai Marae. Uh, let me just read you a little blurb about what it's about. This this year, we've underlined Earth with e, e, Ihoa. Ihoa is the uh, Māori name for Jehovah. We want our hui to focus on the adoration of Ihoa, and particularly the songs that shape culture, communities, and eras of change. Melodies and rhythms lead us through the best and worst of times. They are like scents that trigger memorials and the hiding of life. Earthed Ihoa will explore the corporate dynamic of waiata with theological underpinnings. Let's learn from the nature of song to create communities strengthened in kotahitanga. So come and join us uh, from the Friday the 1st of November through to Sunday the 3rd. So folks, if you're interested in this, uh, jump onto Facebook, Punched in Earth 2019, and you can find out all the information that is there. It is... Uh, We've got uh, the Reverend Lyndon Drake, uh, who is part of Ahi uh, Mihinare in Te Tai Tokoro, uh, working with Bishop Kito. He's coming along to share. We have uh, the legendary Nick Manders, who is the inspiration leader behind uh, all the music that's coming out of Edge Kingsland. We've got Takarare Scarborough, uh, who I work with. Um, man, he's won New Zealand Slam Poetry a couple of times. He's just a legend. Uh, we also have Meri Karaka Tawa. Now, this lady you really want to hear. Meri Karaka gets to share. She's just going to share some of her incredible insight. If any of you know Brad, well, Meri Karaka, I consider her to be like a, the, the sister of a Brad Harmy, who is a deep thinker, has a lot of prophetic in, insight. And not only, not only do we have Meri Karaka coming, but we also have... We're privileged to have uh, Fidu Michael Black. Now, if you don't know Fidu Michael Black, just Google her name and go and listen to go and listen to her 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 songs. She is the Aretha Franklin of the Māori world, <laughs> uh, an incredible singer. Now, if you haven't picked on it by what the little blurb said, um, Earth, we're we're focusing on song and we want to learn from the Māori world, not just the Māori world. Um, but we want to dig deeper into what is it about song that, uh, and the presence of song that is a shaper of communities. And we want to learn what uh, what what the nature of song is, particularly in Te Ao Māori, and just help that to reflect on how songs serve us in the body of Christ as well. So if you're interested in Earth, that's November 1 to 3. Get onto Facebook where you can find all the information and register ASAP. Uh, spaces are limited, so get on to that, um, folks. Alrighty, time to jump into the podcast. Uh, here is me at uh, Kerry Baptist College. Uh, I had asked David Mooker if he could give me a room to record, and he gave me a great room. However, it was next to where students were having their class, <laughs> so I couldn't do anything about it at the time. Uh, uh, so, unfortunately, there is the sound of the background. Uh, class that are making a whole bunch of noise so you'll just have to put up with it uh, my apologies for that but this this is a great this is a great podcast for those of you who um, yeah who have a passion in creation uh, particularly from an indigenous perspective there is lots to learn from Matsuateri and he 
shares some great insight about how we've got our theology completely wrong in regards to creation and creation care and not just not just creation care but um being one uh with all things created oh one other thing i forgot to mention is that at the start of this podcast i did a big mihi itareo maori um kiaia uh, uh, uh but unfortunately the recording of it the uh, cable wasn't plugged in properly so and also when he jumps in with his mihi uh, probably the first couple of words are sort of blocked off, uh, uh, aren't, aren't that clear, so it just sort of uh, jumps up to a sound. So, Namahi. Um, so, my name is Terry LeBlanc. Um, and I am from the district in Mi'kma'ki, where I come from, called Gaspejik, the place where the rocks meet the water, or also known as Land's End. My wife and I currently live in, in uh, Piktojik, which is uh, a small island known in English as Prince Edward Island, but uh, in, in right. Mi'kmaq, uh, Piktojik, which means cradled in waves. Um, I'm, uh, I, I'm uh, the son of... Uh, Joseph Louis and Ava Doreen and um, the 18th great-grandson of Daniel and uh, Alo um, uh, 18 generations back so th- that'll be the shortened introduction oh kia ora too. Tell, tell me are there <coughs> waves on your island are there surfable waves on your island on the north side yes on the north side there is yes but the better waves um are, are off the coast of Nova Scotia, um, and in fact, the highest tides in the world are uh, in the uh, Bay of Fundy, and the tides there will uh, rise and fall 43 feet. Okay. 43 you know feet, which is in meters. In meters? In meters, we're talking about uh, close to 15 meters. That's, that's the that's tide. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So ours in New Zealand probably, I mean, I, I can picture 3.6 on yeah. in some of our news maps, but 15 metres? 15 metres of tidal rise and fall. Yeah. That's massive. It is. Oh, yeah. my goodness. The highest tides in the world. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, Terry, I, I've, I've, you know, been someone who's grown up, uh, well, been around youth with the mission circles for a long time. Uh, someone who uh, I don't know if you can, you probably can remember Rod and Alexis yep. Wilson. Rod Wilson, I lived with Rod. Did you for many many years oh, uh, here? So that explains here in some New things. <laughs> that does. <laughs> a lot of people thought I was his son, particularly when I had I had hair the length of yours back then as well, and same length as Rod's. But um, yeah, so I've I've sort of known of you and Matua Richard, Moi Maerae, Te Rangatira. Uh, and and from a distance, you know, been around, of course, Monty and uh, Linda or here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's great to actually actually truly have a, have a proper conversation with you because I've heard about you for a long time. But um, look, I've got a bunch of questions here as if I can read my handwriting. Um, but very simply, one of the first things I'm, I'm I'm curious to ask you is. For someone who listens to, say, some First Nation people in Northern America, wh- why is North America called Turtle Island? <laughs> Where does that name come from? 
Well, it's it's um, it's it's a woodland uh, uh, woodland indigenous uh, story of uh, of how the earth came to be, and oh. and the the story is of a great flood, and uh, so this, oh, really? this this is not a Mi'kmaq story of uh, so right, okay. uh, historically we wouldn't have called it Turtle Island, okay. but it's a woodland. The Ojibwe and Cree and so forth would call it Turtle Island, and so it comes of a story of a of a of a character in their legends and myths called Wesakijik, and uh, Wesakijik finds himself in the middle of the of, of a flood, uh, you know, very similar to the biblical flood idea, and um, and it, there's himself and the beaver and the otter, the muskrat, um, and they're clinging to a, a small log, and um, and they're and they're wondering at what they might do and how they might you know escape the flood because they have a memory that there was a land at one time and okay. and so so they talk uh, about it talk about it and uh, and then all of a sudden a, a turtle swims by and and uh, and they talk to the turtle and they say if we could find some earth could could we put it on your back and spread it out over your back so that we could create land to walk on and so alternately the beaver and then the otter and then finally the muskrat dive down into the water seeing if they could find earth way below uh, the depths of the water. And the beaver can't and the, and the otter can't and this little tiny muskrat in his squeaky little voice says, let me try. And so he swims <laughs> into the depths of the water and he's gone for such a long time that everyone feels like, like he's probably died, uh, drowned in the water. But finally, he, he bobs up to the surface on his back, exhausted, nearly dead, and in his little paw is this little clump of earth. And so Isakajic takes that clump of earth and spreads it out on the turtle's back and keeps spreading it and spreading it and spreading it until the, until North America formed. Ah, and that's, so that's why it's called Turtle Island. That's where that name comes from. Well, look, that's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Look, here's another random question for us down here in Aotearoa. When, when, you know, now, of course, the, the question uh, is, what's the turtle standing on? Which, what is, okay. Another turtle. Uh, and, and then, of course, the question is, well, what's that turtle standing on? And then you say, it's turtles all the way down. <laughs> it's turtles all the way down, all the way down to the deep. Now, tell me, let's say the nation of Canada, so... Now, how to pronounce your iwi, Mi'kmaq? Mi'kmaq. Mi'kmaq. Because when I look at it, I want to say, I want to pronounce that Q on the end, but it's Mi'kmaq. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but it's well, that's the way the British pronounce it, Mi'kmaq. Right. But it's Mi'kmaq. Mi'kmaq. So if I look at the nation state of Canada uh, and then the nation state of, say, the United States, anyone from outside that world would go, okay, First Nation tribe and Canada different to a First Nation tribe in the United States of America. Do you, do you, as Indigenous people in the Northern Hemisphere up there, do you have a, do you have a, 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 fa- a fast line you know, across that Canadian border as far as the way that you relate to, to iwi below the border? Uh, no. Um, I mean, one of the, one of the clear, uh, clearer distinctions between, say, Indigenous North American peoples and, and the Maori is... Here you're. I mean, it's. It's. I, I'm generalizing, obviously. Yeah. But here it's more monolingual, monocultural. So, so there's a. There, there may be some dialectical differences depending right. on you know where you are in in Aotearoa, but fairly understandable, single language. Yeah. Um, culture. I mean, you know, some differences perhaps in the iwi, but 
but fairly similar. Uh, one would understand, you know, the Farakai, the Faranui, the yes. Pothri, the you know, yeah. uh, you know, Tangi, and so on, all with some general clear understanding. Whereas in North America, we have 270 tribes. 270. Yeah, in oh. North America entirely, and and as many languages, and the languages can be as different as Italian is to Ethiopian. Um, so, so the the wow. delineating yeah. factors are in tribal groups. So, yeah, okay. uh, Mi'kmaq people are a part of a, war, a larger tribal uh, language group called the Algonquian language family. It includes Cree and Ojibwe, and ourselves and our cousins in in our region, and so on. Numbers of Places. Does that same does that go below the border? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So both sides yeah. of the 49th parallel, as we would refer to. Okay. It. Um, and the Blackfoot do the same in the Canada. They're called Blackfoot in the U.S. They're called Blackfeet, uh, but they're the same people. <laughs> okay. Uh, the the Anishinaabek peoples. You have uh, a wide range of Anishinaabek peoples: Potawatomi's, uh, Ojibwe, Soto, um, uh, Chippewa, and and so on. They're all Anishinaabek culturally and linguistically. Um, the Cree, you have five distinct groupings linguistically okay. and culturally across Canada and and, and uh, not in the States. The Cree, Cree are typically historically not in the U.S. But So a lot of distinctions. There are some commonalities between uh, Canada and the U.S. Uh, tribally and some very distinct differences right. uh, as well. Right. Do, with the fact that you <clears throat> share a common culture across borders, are there any, are, are you exempt from any sort of border control between tribe and tribe? Does, does that make sense? Did, yeah. any, did any of your laws go back and forth or no? You're, you're subject yeah. to can, Canada north of the 49th? Well, there, yes and no. There, there are, uh, there's a treaty known as Jay's Treaty or the Jay Treaty. The Jay Treaty? Yes. There's Just <laughs> named in your honor. <laughs> named in we, we Jay's were, Treaty. We were anticipating this interview <laughs> yeah. a few hundred years ago. It's all going to get sorted out here. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a thing called Jay Treaty. It's just Jay been waiting tre- for a while, yeah, bro. <laughs> the Jay Treaty, which which means that if you're, a, if, you're a, if you're registered as an indigenous person in Canada or in the States, you can cross the respective borders uh, to work and so on without, okay. without any any encumbrances. Okay. Um, but uh, but then at the same time there are uh, regulations in the U.S. that are different than those in Canada. That that um, um, as a member of that nation state called Canada or that nation state called the U.S. you you are legally responsible for and and there really isn't any getting around it. Yeah. Um, yeah. in any significant way. Yeah. Um, this, now you are the founder and are you the director of Nates? Yeah, I'm um, one of the founding members. Founding there members was a group of, of uh, There was a group of us from Canada and the U.S. that founded Nates. I, I was the founding chair of the board that, that created okay. it. And I've been the director of it since its inception. Um, you know, it, I mean, the, the ideas of it came out of the 90s, as I mentioned here this morning, uh, 1996 uh, was the, the beginning of conceiving yeah. that we needed to do this. And then in the 97, 98, 99 uh, period, we began to do some writing workshops and some exploration of theological themes and all of that sort of stuff. And then we incorporated, we formally began the process of incorporation, legal incorporation in 2000. Um, so I've been the I've been the I was one of the founding members of all of that, and then I've been the director of it since its inception. Wow, 
If you could share, like, what in, in creating this theological um, uh, ropu group, um, what would be some of the highlights for you in this process? Um, I think you know probably the first highlight would be uh, you know we came into existence really to explore theology, missiology, biblical studies from indigenous vantage points because there wasn't much in print back then that had been been written by and for indigenous people. So we wanted to to, to change that. We wanted to correct that that uh, yeah. uh, lack, and uh, and so we began to work on that. Um, and. And as a part of that, we were we were entering into a period of time where the whole question of culture and faith was was resurfacing, and and people saying, you know, you either need to be Christian or indigenous. Right, you can't be right, a, can't be both. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the same as it has been around the globe here and Australia and anywhere else you go, where there are indigenous people who are <laughs> seeking to follow Jesus. Um, so, so that topic had really begun to surface again and there's a lot of animosities that were part of it so we we decided that we would bring a group of people together to have a talk about it and there were three papers that had been in circulation in north america by three different um groups of people that were very conservative and very anti-cultural right Right. And each of them had produced a paper right. to say you can't you can't mix the two. It's you know that old yes. uh, come you out and be you separate you leave your for indigenous sleep. people yeah. means you leave all you of leave that behind gone. and and, yeah. you, and you leave your sin stained culture and you enter Western sin stained culture. Um, you know yes that kind of <laughs> yeah, idea. Yeah. But we don't know we're entering Western sin stained culture. Sure. Um, so so we we held our first symposium in two thousand one. Um, on that theme, culture, okay. Christian faith, and error was the title of it. And Richard Twist, myself, and Adrian Jacobs co-authored a paper called "Culture, Christian Faith, and Error" um, that's in the first volume of the journal. Okay. And we invited people from um, seminaries, most, in fact, all of them, conservative seminaries in Canada and the U.S. to come and participate with us, as well as Indigenous people. And we invited the three authors of those papers to come, and they didn't show up. Uh, they wouldn't come and have the conversation. Oh, really? With they us wouldn't, at all. wouldn't no. even talk about no. talk it through. No. Um, Ex- so, any explanation? Uh, Just that you. I were, mean, I have some were, speculations, but right, I, I okay, wouldn't. Right, I, I, okay. I, you know, yeah, I wouldn't want to. Yeah, yeah. You, you were in sin. I don't want to do <laughs> any <laughs> characters. <laughs> or anything. You're in the bottom of the earth, bro. <laughs> no, no. Well, things yeah, are way yeah, getting yeah, around, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. So, uh, so we held. Uh, we started on a Thursday evening with an opening, and we finished Saturday afternoon at the end of the afternoon. And we expected maybe, you know, thirty, forty people would show up, and we had one hundred forty-nine folks show up, which really? was really pretty outstanding. Yes. I think that was the first surprise, yes. was that there was a keen interest in the topic, both from Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people who are trying to figure this out too, and trying to trying to you know, because they had they would have Indigenous members that are congregation or in their school or they know some indigenous people in North America and they, you know, they wanted to get some input so they could figure out, you know, what do I say? How do I say it? uh, How do I respond to questions or whatever? Um, That, that actually was the, the formal launching point for us. And over the next uh, 36 months, we held a symposium every 18 months for two more times. And then we went to an annual symposium, and so we're now in our seventeenth symposium coming up. 
17th. 17th. Coming up in 2020. <clears throat> 2020. What's the mm-hmm. date of that, by the way? June 4, 5. June 4, and 5. 6. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, so so we, you know, we launched into that thing. That It was, it was, a, cool. it was a surprise cool. to have that much involvement or interest in it and so on. And then the next big surprise was uh, the invitation from uh, seminaries that were, right. you know, teaching mission studies right. and theology okay. to come and for several of us to come and have conversations right. with, okay. with their yeah. faculty. Um, and that that then led us to, to, to think uh, maybe maybe we need to do something more than we've been doing. Maybe we need to create a program for, for theological education that has yeah, indigenous okay. frames and content and, and focus and so on. So, wow. so we began that's, to do that. That's, an, that's exceptional. Sort of on, on, on the note of missions, you know, groups coming from the college, missiology d- divisions, sections coming to, to, to learn from you, ask you questions. Um, you know, there has been... North America is the by far the largest outputting of Christianity to the globe. Well, you could you could reduce that a little further and say the United States. Yes, I could, I could. So I, 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 I do say North America. Know that I'm talking to someone who is not from the United States of America, but someone who lives very close to that place. You know, after let's just say 400 years of well, you mentioned this morning that one of your ancestors got baptized in 1610. Yep. So that kind of makes this question relevant, you know. So I mean, after four hundred years or so of Christian mission in North America, Canada, United States, whatever, um, what is the challenge for North American Christianity that you, as an Indigenous leader, follower of Jesus, wants to would like to say to North American Christianity? Well, I mean, the big challenge for us, to be honest, is to be able to distance ourselves from what is a very fundamentalist and very um, nationalist expression right. of, of evangelical Christianity in the United States. Right. Um, so when we talk to people in our communities, um, you know, their version of, their view of, their experience of Christianity is what they see on the television yes. with largely... Not entirely, but largely, probably 80% um, American um, televangelists and right. proponents of, of uh, a very nationalist, um, fervent, uh, fundamentalist Christianity. Yeah. And for us to be able to say that's not, in our view, obviously it's our view, that's not, in our view, what Jesus calls us to. Right. It's not the it's not the relationship he invites us into, right. and so so for us that's a challenge. Um, there continues to be the challenge of of the culture faith conversation. It hasn't gone away entirely. I think we've made strides, significant strides with it, um, both in the indigenous context with our own people, but also in the mainstream Christian communities, yeah. in particularly right. in Canada, I would say, right. but, but but also in the U.S. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I think the other challenges that we would want to speak to the church, uh, the wider church, would be to say, uh, you need to spend more time looking at where you've come from than where you're going. Okay, okay. So that you can understand how you got to this po- okay. point in time. Right. Be- uh, and I would say that to anybody. Yes, for that matter. yes. 
Yeah, that's true. The church is so fixated on its eschatological future uh, that it that it sort of minimizes the present because we're moving toward the future and and ignores the past. Do you think that es- eschatological future, the, the vision that that body of believers has, is a healthy vision? No, I think because it's good to have an eschatological vision. Well, it's but good to understand it? that we're heading somewhere, right? But. Uh, as as I as you would have heard me say today, um, uh, Western society has focused and fixated, if you will, so much on the future that it has ignored the present. Yes. Um, and it's ignored the, what created the present. Yes. And what created the present is not the future. No. It's the past. No. Yeah. So none of us knows what the future brings. So in an hour's time. Neither you nor I know what's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen in five minutes' time. <laughs> so to to know of the concept of the existence of the future is wonderful yeah. and important. And in, a, and in a biblical frame, it's important to understand that as Jesus came uh, and was incarnated, um, you know, back in, in, in our history, he will be coming from the future. Right. And there is this... The idea of future fulfillment it's important to understand that but none of us knows how that will work right, right. none of us knows the you know the inner workings of all that and and i i like to say if if jesus who was god along with the holy spirit and the father would say to his disciples no one knows the day nor the hour not the son but the father alone why would we presume to predict or dictate or when it's coming. overly theologize about when it will come and what it will look like because we we just don't know so if jesus said i'm content to leave it in the father's hands i think we should be too (laughs) so so you know it'd be to say wisdom there if the church could spend more time looking at how it got here particularly i I think it's no different here in new zealand uh than it is in australia or canada the us or elsewhere in the globe other than in in you know the majority world contexts the church is in decline Yes. Attendance is, is consistently declining, and, and some churches will say, well, no, we're growing, but I would venture to say at least some of that is transfer membership right. you know, of the disaffected. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and I'm not trying to Take demean anyone oh, here. I'm just trying oh, to say it, I think we need to understand that. Oh. So, so it would seem to me that we would want to ask some questions. How did we get here? And, and the answers to those questions aren't in the future. They're in the past. Oh, true. Um, what what is the sort of position as indigenous communities in our in our towns, villages, wherever wherever it is? But we are we are around Christian organisations that have very strong eschatol, eschatological vision slash mission, and are p- perhaps. Um, have a very loud, let's just say they have a very loud message. Like, what's something that, what's wisdom that you would want to share to a very, very, say it's a Western based but outward focused type of a church, type of a mission, whatever it is? Well, again, it, it, to, me, to me, it always goes to understanding how we got where we're at. Yeah, okay. Um, right. Education. My grandfather, um, my grandfather, and my father and I spent uh, a day one time, a long time ago, when I was a boy, 
on a fishing trip and we were on a, a trail heading, you know, somewhere I'd never been before and as a young boy going into the, into the woods. And when I say woods, you know, the, the, the forests, you know, if you go down to the National Park yeah. on the north end of Lake Topo and it's dense and it's right. thick and it's, you know, that's what I'm talking about. If you head a little trail, down a little trail in that forest, it can get pretty dark pretty quick and it can seem like it's closing in around you. That was the experience I had as a little boy and I expressed my anxiety to my grandfather and several times he tried to reassure me and finally knowing that I was you know, really panicking and anxious, he put his gear down, turned around, knelt down and said to me, when you're heading on a new trail, one that you've never been on before, spend twice as much of your time looking at where you've come from as you do where you're going. Wow. So that you can fix the landmarks wow. in your mind yeah. the way that they're going to appear when you turn to take the trail home. <laughs> because things look different when you look behind you than they do when you look ahead. Right. So the, 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 the tree that's fallen down away from you on the left will now be falling toward you on the right. Right. Um, you know, the thing that you, that you tripped over will, might be something you stepped down off of. Uh, you know, the, the small pond on the left might, be, might have been obscured when you came one way, and when you turn to take the trail back, you might see this pond, and you say, I didn't see that before, because you didn't look. Um, so, so if you look at where you've come from more than you do where you're going, you'll have a better idea of where you're at in your life at the moment. And in, and in doing that, you'll have, a, you'll have a better opportunity to reflect on what should I do now. Right. So with that in mind, uh, in, in, the, in what we commonly call the fall, the narrative of the fall in Genesis 3, there are three spheres of relationship that are damaged. That were, that were in Genesis 1 and 2, at least we imagine, because, yeah. because God has pronounced it all very good. Yeah. We imagine these relationships are whole and, yeah. and, and vibrant and functioning the way they're intended. But there are three spheres of relationship that are damaged. The first is a right relationship with God and other spiritual powers. And t- most times when I say that, and I, I look out at an audience that I'm saying it to, the, the, yeah. the, the non-indigenous huh? folks hey, say, what, what do you mean other spiritual powers? <laughs> Why are we to be in a right relationship with them? Well, I mean, there are other spiritual powers in the yes. world. You know, they're not just... Not just angels and demons either. There are there are other spiritual powers, yes. and you know Paul talked of spiritual forces of wickedness in high places and all that. So there are spiritual powers, and we're to be in right relationship with them. No worship, yep. no homage given to other than God, yep. but we're to acknowledge these other spiritual powers. As pl- not seek to serve them, not seek to placate them, not seek to honor them. Uh, I mean, even in the biblical text, you know, angels come and they speak to Abraham and he wants to honor them. Hold on, hold on. No, yeah. no, no, no. Or in yeah. the New Testament, you know, they want to fall down and worship, yes. you know, the, yes. the, the, the apostles, the disciples. Yeah. And they, no, 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 we're no, just no, men. We're just servants like you. Yeah. yeah. So, so we're to be right relationship with God and other spiritual powers. We're to be in right relationship with one another in the human community. Uh, I mean, you initially see that with the man and the woman. But it extends out from there. We need to be in right relationship with one another. And then we're to be in right relationship with and right relatedness to the rest of the creation of which we are a part. Yes. And that's the one thing that indigenous peoples, I, I think, still clearly understand is that creation is not below us and subject to us in a, in a, in a domineering, oh, yeah. oppressive way. But creation is beside and shared. We are a part of this creation. Oh, yeah. And so, so if I were to say to people who want to project this loud eschatological message and, and say that we're going somewhere in the future, that message has typically said the earth is to be destroyed 
burned up with fire and oh, replaced. Yeah. And, and that's just A, not biblical. Like great planet Earth or something. Yeah, yeah, Hal Lindsey. That's not biblical. You will not find that in the biblical text except by reading into it because God okay. makes a covenant with the creation in Genesis 9. Right. The whole of the creation, not just humans. The, the covenant with creation, not the covenant with Noah. Ooh. So it's a covenant with Noah and the generations that follow, his descendants after him, and with all of creation. And, and, and then Paul makes that abundantly clear in Romans 8 when he says the creation groans awaiting the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. And I used to think oh, that I've was... I've never tied those two passages together and, before. And, and I used to think that that gold. whole revelation piece of, of the sons and daughters of God was, was that um, they were going to be revealed to creation, now restored. And I actually think these days, these days given what we're doing, I actually think it, it means that, that we're finally going to get it. Right. That kind of revelation. Right. Not, not we're going to be revealed as, as if we previously are, were hidden. We are far now. now. Now we're going to actually get it. We're actually going to see what we've been missing. That kind of revelation. Right. I almost think it's better that way. <sighs> but, but, but then he also talks about the creation groaning and travail. He uses the image of a woman in childbirth, awaiting its own redemption, even as we also do. So when you, when you look at that, you look at Thessalonians, where people right. like to go and right. say it's going to burn up and it's all, it's all going to be crispy. Um, you know, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And I want to bring that back to Paul, who says to us, old things, I, I used to say this differently when I first came, to, <laughs> you know, came into this thing, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become white. <laughs> but, but actually, it's old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new, right? But, but Jay, Although the experience of our people was that. Well, exactly, exactly. Um, but, but Jay is still the Jay who came to faith and was transformed yeah. by the Spirit. Oh. Visibly, you're the same person. Physically, yeah, oh. you're the same person. But now, now there's this transformative reality which will be fulfilled somewhere in the future when Christ sums all things up and brings all things to the fulfillment of the Father. Uh, and, and so, old things have passed away, behold, all things come, have become new, is precisely the same language that is being used by Paul when he says, a new heaven, a new earth. It's, it's the same activity you see God doing time and time and time and time again. It's restorative, it's yes. purifying, yes. it's cleansing, it's not destructive. So even in the flood, it's not destructive, it's cleansing and purifying. Right. You know? And that's, right. the, that's the modus operandi of God right. okay. throughout the text and throughout Cleansing our lives. Cleansing and purifying. So, wow. so that eschatological drive where it's all going to disappear and there's a new thing has this arrogant idea that when we finish destroying this toy that Dad has given us, Dad's going to give us a new one. Right. And, 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 and that's not what you see in the biblical text. It's not the biblical vision. It's, it's, it's a vision that people have forced into the text, but isn't there itself. So I would say right relationship in those three spheres, that's what we should be doing. That's, what, that's how we should be engaging our ministry. Right relationship with God and other spiritual powers with one another in the right. human community and right relationship and relatedness to the rest of the creation of which we are a part. Oh, that's so good. I've got to go back and I've got to type that up. The, the, the vision statement. Okay, let me just repeat that is that we are to live in right relationship with God and other spiritual powers with one another in loving community and right relationship and relatedness with the rest of creation of which we are a part. That right there, 
bang, that's gold. Um, what, a, what a privilege to, to speak to Matua Terry. Uh, we're going to close off now, and I've cut it in half, and we'll we'll jump back in with uh, with Terry part two. So have a look there. But just another rem- reminder: uh, Earthed Ihoa e- 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 2019 at Allway Marae in Waitara is coming. Jump on Facebook and see the info and register. <laughs>